Hello, my friends. I'm going to take a short break from the pandemic to talk about a little news story by a little advocacy organization out in British Columbia. They had an interview with Stephen Gilbo, and he let his guard down because he was amongst friends, and he said some staggering things that I think ought to have more attention. So I'll take you through his interview with the Narwhal. Then we will talk about the pandemic and the lockdowns and how a family at Ronald McDonald House was given the boot because they weren't back. It's just a crazy story. We'll talk to Drea Humphrey, who talked to the family. Um, before I get to that, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. It's the video version of the show. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com, click subscribe. It's eight bucks a month. And uh, you get the video version of my show, plus three other shows by Sheila Gunn-Reed, David Menzies, and Andrew Chapados. And the satisfaction of knowing that you are keeping Rebel News strong and independent. All right, here's today's podcast. Tonight, while Trudeau uses the pandemic to destroy our civil liberties, his most radical cabinet minister prepares to destroy the oil and gas industry. It's January 13th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon oh, consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say is government, but why I publish it, is because it's my bloody right to do so. The Narwhal is a far-left website based in British Columbia. Not only do they receive huge checks from Justin Trudeau, courtesy of Canadian taxpayers, but they also receive a significant part of their funding perhaps a majority, it's not clear, from foreign anti-oil interests like the, the Tides Foundation and California and Europe-based anti-oil activists. Seriously, like more than half a million dollars from a Seattle foundation alone. So they're not really journalists, are they? It's more like that uh, news magazine called Costco Connection. It looks like a magazine, but it's really just a marketing department for Costco. That's what the narwhal is. So naturally, they're going to roll out the red carpet for Canada's most extreme cabinet minister. And of course, I'm talking about Stephen Gilbo, seen here being arrested for committing a criminal offense uh, in the name of Greenpeace. Do you know of any other extremist convicted of a crime who is then appointed to the cabinet for that same issue about which he committed crimes? I don't, not in Canada at least. Anyways, it's no surprise that they welcome Gilbo. He funds them hugely. Then again, 99% of Canadian media are funded by the federal liberals. But what's more relevant here is that Gilbo obviously felt comfortable, felt like he was amongst friends. And he knows that the Narwhal is really a small, radical publication. So he was talking to fellow travelers. So maybe he was more candid with them as opposed to talking to real journalists elsewhere. So here's what Gilbo said. It's titled, We Need to Learn to Do Things Faster. Canada's new environment minister talks climate and compromise. So that's the headline. And this paragraph caught my eye. In his new role, Gilbo will have his work cut out for him. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has assigned the minister 40 distinct tasks in a mandate letter that is perhaps the longest one sent to any minister in the federal cabinet. It all means that Gilbo will need to work with other federal cabinet ministers and stakeholders to assist energy workers in transitioning away from fossil fuel jobs. 40 tasks? 
a to-do list of 40 things. I looked it up. Uh, this is the mandate letter, uh, and indeed it is true. Here is that 40-item to-do list. I suppose it's possible to have a 40-item to-do list. You could have 100 things on your to-do list, but it's sort of like the question, how many friends can you really have? Don't tell me you have 20 friends, unless you really just mean friendly acquaintances, people you see from time to time, because there's just simply not enough time in the day, there's not enough days in the week to truly be friends, real friends, with 20 different people. You're lucky to have five friends. If you have a six-item to-do list, I believe you're going to get it done. 40 items tells me you really aren't serious, or you aren't focused, or you're just trying to come up with a long list of things to virtue signal about to appease your base. I mean, who knows? I mean, what, is one, what does this one even mean? I'm going to quote one of the 40. Work with the Minister of Health to implement a comprehensive action plan to protect Canadians, including firefighters, from exposure to toxic flame retardants found in household products. I don't know. Uh, I mean, if you were to do all 40 things on this list, you would fundamentally transform the entire country since many of them are actually quite radical and like, quite large. So on the one hand, a 40-point to-do list is the sign of an inherently unserious person. On the other hand, it's the sign of a revolutionary, a communist, really, someone who wants to remake the entire society, the entire economy. So yeah, that, that actually does sort of make sense. It's terrifying. Anyways, sorry for the tangent. Here's the point I wanted to show you today from the interview. As you know, Gilbo hates the oil and gas industry, not in OPEC, in any OPEC country, not in Russia. He, he never criticizes them. He just hates Canada's oil and gas industry, or more specifically, Western Canada's oil and gas industry. He's delighted to have Canada import oil from foreign countries. He doesn't even charge those imports a carbon tax. He, he prefers them. But here's what he says about Canadians. Let me quote. We have to decarbonize our society, and that includes transportation. And we've made a number of commitments on that, some previous to the last election campaign, but certainly since then as well. We want to decarbonize the steel sector, the cement sector, the auto sector, the aluminum sector, and the oil and gas sector. So I will be working with them as I would be working with others. Okay, we've heard that before. By the way, it's impossible to decarbonize the steel sector, for example. You cannot make steel without burning coal. You just can't get the fire hot enough otherwise to melt the iron ore. I mean, you can't use solar panels or windmills to do that. Sorry, I mean, solar panel factories, windmill factories, where they make them, they are not powered by solar panels or windmills, in case you were wondering. Um, but here's the news, uh, if there was some in this Narwhal article. We don't have five years to consult every time we want to introduce a new measure. I told you earlier, my timeline is two years. So in the next two years, more stringent methane regulations, zero emission vehicle standards, net zero grid by 2035, cap on oil and gas, and obviously phasing out fossil fuels. All of these things must be in place in the coming 18 months. I mean, maybe 2024, but that's the type of time frame we have to work with. And it's going to be tough because on the one hand, some people are going to criticize us for not giving them enough time to be consulted. But the state of climate change is such that we need to learn to do things faster. All of these things must be in place in the next 18 months. So by next summer, that's 18 months. 
And it's going to be tough. Tough for who? And not everyone will be consulted. I mean, what's the point? They haven't consulted anyone on the pandemic for two years. Yeah, that's a tyrant. That's a bully. Like I said, a communist, sir, I know that word sounds extreme. And like I'm using it as an insult. But, but what do you call someone who truly wants to remake the entire society, remake the entire economy from top to bottom, every job, every industry, the way we move, the way we live, the way our homes are, the way we stay warm in this cold country, the way we travel in this, the second largest country in the world. And he wants to remake it through the force of government without democratic consultations because he's too busy for that. And he's shown he's willing to break the law. He's shown he's willing to be a criminal. And his boss, Trudeau, has told him to remake everything. And really, he's always hated the West and Alberta in particular. And the oil industry, did you think he didn't mean this? Do you think maybe Justin Trudeau didn't mean it when he said he liked communist China because they can do things without consultation? And do you think that Gilbo won't do it or at least try? I mean, who's going to stop him? The province of Alberta, where Jason Kenney himself has actually kept Rachel Notley's carbon tax in place? He said years to repeal it, but, but he didn't. Are you expecting Aaron O'Toole to come to the rescue? Huh. He supports an even weirder and more punitive and more bizarre form of a carbon tax. He calls it a carbon levy. And he's, he's forced all of his MPs, including in Alberta, to support it 100%. It's, it's crazy. You might recall party members actually rejected his carbon tax at the party's last policy convention. He simply told them he didn't care. <laughs> and he's shown that he's willing to shut up his MPs and even throw them out if they dispute him. Are you expecting Aaron O'Toole to save you from Stephen Gilbo? Are you expecting some Chamber of Commerce to speak out? Perhaps some oil company lobby? I tell you, they may not believe the theory of man-made global warming when they whisper in private, but they made a decision over a decade ago to concede to concede the science and to concede the morality. They speak like, I don't know, like chasing tobacco executives. Their language implies that they believe their own industry is evil. You have oil men calling for carbon taxes, calling for the phase out of oil. Do you think they're going to help you? You know, uh, back when Rachel Notley was the premier of Alberta, she brought in the carbon tax in an announcement, and she stood so shoulder to shoulder with four of the biggest oil producers in Alberta who cut a private deal with her in return for their endorsement. They sold out the whole province and the whole industry for a few regulatory benefits for themselves. So yeah, Stephen Gilbo is a convicted criminal. He's a communist by the definition of that word. He's an environmental extremist. He himself doesn't actually believe in reducing his carbon footprint. I mean, like all cabinet ministers, he loves to fly, and he has a private driver, and he lives large, of course. I mean, it's hypocrisy, sure, but it's more than that. It's hierarchy, as we like to say. It's like when Al Gore flies on a private jet or when Leo DiCaprio talks about climate change while on his yacht. Sure, it's hypocrisy, but it is hierarchy. Here's the ruling class. You're not. His role is to, as he sees it, is to make the rules. Your role is to follow him. It's really like the same role, the same model for the pandemic and the lockdowns. And really, really, who's going to stop this? All the institutions that have rolled over for the government in the name of the pandemic, do you think, do you, think you can trust any of them to fight back? Oh, in the name of the climate change? <laughs> yeah, no. Stay with us for more. 
drugs last night. Yes. Uh, it's just pretty disturbing. I'm just wondering, is this, is this saying that like everybody is not vaccinated is getting evicted? Well, we have a grace period to which you can uh, get your first dose. Yeah. But essentially, as of January 17th, it's a board mandate from our. So I just want to get this straight. So by the end of the month, my four-year-old boy with leukemia is getting evicted because we don't have a vaccine. Parents. This is if he was six months older, he would be getting evicted. But yeah, because we don't have the vaccine, you're going to throw us on the snow with a few weeks' notice. Like this is some kind of crazy evil. Like I have never seen in my life. It doesn't matter if you're vaccinated or not. Everybody knows you still have to wear the masks because you can go out and catch COVID, transmit it, and bring it back in. That's why I vaccinated people with masks, though. So it doesn't matter if you're vaccinated or not. So just, like the idea is to make people safer. This isn't about safety. This is this is coercing people to get a vaccine, choosing between their children and their own beliefs, whether it's religious beliefs, whether they're hesitant to get a vaccine. My kid has gone all his vaccines. We're not anti-vaccines. This is absolutely an abomination. Say that, so just let me get this clear. Are you both of you vaccinated? No. Okay. So what we're doing is protecting the safety of everybody in the house. No, you're not. Because a vaccinated person can still get it and transmit it. That's right. And so what we're trying to do is reduce the risks to the entire That doesn't family. make sense. Your conscience is seared. Do you understand? This is absolutely evil. So do you want me to... You're evicting kids with leukemia. Kids who have strokes. Well, that video went viral, not just across Canada, but in the United States too. Ronald McDonald House, to be clear, is a charity set up by McDonald's, and it's basically to help families whose kids are in, uh, in a hospital for often tragic and life-threatening illnesses. What it does is it allows the parents to stay close to the hospital. It's like an apartment or a hotel. And you heard the news. Ronald McDonald House was kicking out a family in those dire straits because they were not vaxxed. Well, our own Drea Humphrey, uh, she's in Vancouver, and she went to talk to the family. Let's have a quick chat with Drea, and then we'll show you an excerpt from that interview. Drea, how are you doing? This story just went zoom, not just in Canada, but around the world, didn't it? Yeah, I'm, I am glad to see a lot of people are standing behind advocating for this family because it is a very concerning story and it kind of shows just how far we've fallen morally, I think, as a country. Uh, tell me why you think that. I mean, it, it's shocking that a family that's in such stress, I mean, the whole point of Ronald McDonald House is to make it easy for the family to be close to the to the kid who's going through you know, something no kid should have to go through and then to evict them, kick them out like a landlord might kick out a deadbeat tenant. Yeah. Uh, that's of all the times to do that to someone. Um, mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit more about the about the about the family and then we'll play a clip from it. Well, absolutely. It's every parent's worst nightmare to find out your child 
has cancer. And this family is based or they are from Kelowna, which is at least a four hour drive to Vancouver where their son Jack needs life-saving treatment until June. And so to be able to make that journey, we've recently had the floods there, which would have made it impossible. Um, but just in the winter and back and forth, it wasn't feasible. Dad is in school. Um, they have one vehicle. And so that's where Ronald McDonald House came in. That's where friends and family and uh, their church Kelowna Harvest Church came behind them to support them so that they could stay at Ronald McDonald House. And not only is this just like an apartment, it is set up to, to make the child as happy as that child can be while they're going through uh, treatments in such a hard time. So it's a place that the child and, of course, the family can find refuge and and happiness and so to have a policy slapped on your door that says you're no longer welcome here you're out of here uh, simply because you're not vaccinated for covid is is vile and inhumane yeah you know it's so bizarre what's happening to our healthcare system they're firing immune nurses and doctors who got the disease and recovered them natural so they're firing mm -hmm. healthy doctors and nurses <laughs> they're calling in doctors and nurses who actively have the disease because yeah. they're so short-staffed. And yeah. here they're kicking out patients and their families. Just absolutely nuts. Uh, you met with the family in Vancouver. Set up the clip a little bit. Tell us uh, a, a bit about it, and then let's uh, take a look. Well, I think this father, he said he didn't like any confrontation, but after his wife had been crying all night long and he just kind of thought, what am I going to do next? He felt like God said, you got to let this be known. So he uploaded that viral video you showed to Facebook. Um, and then after that, uh, international attention. So when I went and interviewed him, he had articulate things to say about how concerning this is. Okay, let's take a look. I went down, I'm like, is this real life? Like, are you guys actually doing this? And they, they, she authenticated the letter. Like, everybody who comes here, as far as I know, I don't know if it's just people with leukemia or what, but you get given a social worker, and we had to reach out to the social worker ourselves and say, what are we going to do? Like, they, didn't, they didn't say, oh, we're going to set you up at the hotel while you're figuring out what to do. They didn't say, oh, here's, you know, they didn't give you a game plan or anything. They're just saying, we're going to set up a room, we're going to set up a QR code, and you're going to scan it, and if you don't, and if, and if you don't scan that QR code, you're like, you're gone. Like, so that's how it is. Right. So just to be clear, you were not told you'd be accommodated until you spoke, until you went out and reached out to, uh, I guess, the social worker. Yeah. And it's not even guaranteed accommodation. And there's no guarantee that the other location wouldn't do the same thing. The only other location that's like a free thing similar to this community living is a place called Easter Seals. And there's no... Like my social worker said, I'm going to reach out to you. I'll probably get back to you tomorrow. Like she hasn't gone back to me yet. Like you don't know if you're going to get a spot and you don't know if if uh, they're going to just do this too because this seems to be a trending thing across the country where they're just putting their hands around the throat of every unvaccinated person and just squeezing until they obey. Well, I am so glad you went there. Now, here's the crazy thing. There have been some very heart-rending moments in this pandemic where mm -hmm. heroes or I'm not going to use the word victims, but people who have been punished by the system like this family have stood up and really it's really resonated. I mean, I think a GoFundMe mm -hmm. for this family hit $100,000 in, yeah. in a day or something. Um, 
What we've seen, though, with sympathetic people like this who dare to stand up for their individual choice, whether it's Novak Djokovic, the uh, tennis star in Australia, or whether it's our own friend, uh, Dr. Julie Panessi, the ethics mm -hmm. scholar who was fired from Western Ontario, the more sympathetic they are, the more the corporate media, the narrative media comes in to smash them because mm -hmm. you're not allowed to be sympathetic if you're unvaccinated. You have to be, as Trudeau says, a misogynist, racist or something. So let me ask you, um, the world loves this family. We are giving them fair coverage. How has the rest of the corporate media treated this dad and his family? I'm actually glad you asked that question. In the report, I uh, talk about a uh, article from Vancouver City News. It's since been amended, um, and I think that's a good sign. Originally, it, it basically said, oh, no. Um, and of course, I'm paraphrasing. This isn't exactly what it said. You can watch the report, but it it basically said that, you know, um, the Ronald McDonald House was going to accommodate this family and the dad did a video. And then they only quoted out of the whole uh, video, they just quoted him saying, oh, this is because of the COVID cult. And, you know, anybody reading that without watching the video might think dad is just a kook. And I think in the past that that would have flied. But I think there's been a definite change. I think, honestly, since the, the restrictions over the Christmas break, I think people have had enough. And I think that this story is, is tugging on the heartstrings of so many that the silent majority feels comfortable not being silent anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know why the uh, city, um, city Vancouver City News changed their article, but they have gutted it. Uh, it's, it's so much different. They took out the COVID cult reference, and they even specified that although now that Ronald McDonald House is claiming that they were going to accommodate them, which, by the way, is not written in the policy that was slapped on this family's door, hmm. um, they do point out in that article now that when the father did address this manager, the manager didn't say anything about that they would be accommodated either. So total change there, at least yeah. in that situation. Well, that's glad to hear. I mean, it's just incredible to me how the media is in such lockstep here. And the more sympathetic the newsmaker, the more vicious they are, even with a child who's seeking emergency medical treatment. So it's I think it, you're right. It is a sign of a sea change. Well, I'm glad you were there on the spot. It was it was interesting to watch this go like wildfire on mm -hmm. Twitter, because I think it was just another example of overkill by the the branch covidians i don't maybe mm -hmm. i won't say covid cult i'll say the branch covidians <laughs> um you know i mean I, I i follow news from different countries uh, i have an interest in australia i know you do too our friend avi down there i'm interested in the uk and right now uh, drea in the uk there's this big kerfuffle because when they were locking down the uk extremely hard mm -hmm. number 10 downing street uh prime minister boris johnson's own office had a bring your own beer party in a garden and there's footage of it and there's copies of the invitation this was from the harshest harshest lockdowns last year so people are seeing mm -hmm. that the lockdownists never meant it for themselves they weren't actually scared of the virus their actions show it yeah they're not just hypocrites but i i love this phrase i, I see it used a lot it's not about the hypocrisy it's about the hierarchy we're the boss you're the boss we're the rulers, mm -hmm. you're the rule followers. Um, so 
I think the reason this eviction of this family was so intolerable is because we all know Justin mm -hmm. Trudeau parties in Amsterdam without a mask. Yeah. Boris Johnson parties in his back garden thinking no one knows. We know every single enforcer cheats. And for them to be hardline against this family was super gross. That's my theory. Well, and also we all know fully vaccinated people who have COVID, especially when it comes to Omicron. The CEO of Pfizer himself, who, by the way, is also a donor to Ronald McDonald House on their website, they label Pfizer as a friend, um, just came out and said that when you have two shots, it provides little, if any, protection for the person inoculated. And we also know that Omicron is not, um, you know, correlating with more deaths, it's correlating with less. So the timing of this mm -hmm. happening to a four-year-old boy with leukemia and any other kid five and up who's not um, jabbed there is just unjustifiable in my opinion. Yeah, I think so too. Well, listen, I'm so glad you were on the scene giving fair coverage, telling the other side of the story. That's our company motto. Drea, thanks for doing such a great job. Thank you for having me. All right, there you have Adrea Humphrey out there in Vancouver. Love that rebel hat she's wearing. <laughs> Stay with us. Your thoughts to me next. Hey, welcome back. Your viewer feedback. Birdie Turney. Sounds like the names I was called when I was a young child. It's a very painful memory you brought back. Says uh, this about my interview with James Lindsay. He says, about time this is in discussion. Everyone knows of it. Rumors, scary forecasts, and interpretations are all out there. I guess they know the public would never submit. No, I, I disagree with all parts of that. I mean, rumors, the World Economic Forum is not a rumor. The contract between George Soros and the Canadian government is not a rumor. And... Um, they absolutely know that everyone would submit because they've watched us for the last two years. H1R086, which is a friendlier nickname I had as a boy, says, better to a tyrant is obedient. They destroyed everything and fired everyone who wasn't. Now they build their bootlicker industries and institutes with the spineless and malleable. The vaccine is a loyalty test. Total control. Home prices are risen so only the elite can buy them then create a permanent renter class. There's some truth to those things. I mean, when the president of Pfizer himself goes on TV and says two doses do virtually nothing to stop you from getting Omicron, but the vaccine enforcement of the government is stricter than ever, it's not about not getting sick anymore. It's about compliance, obedience, about bending the knee. I think that's pretty, pretty obvious, unfortunately. SG1 says every emergency order should have a one-month expiration date. They must prove need in a debate in Parliament. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's not an emergency if it's a permanent emergency. You know who talks that way? I mean, Castro, the permanent revolution. And that's why he needs an emergency powers. And that's why anyone is an enemy of the revolution. If someone says an emergency lasts for more than like a week, you should consider them to be a liar. That's rooted to the vaccine, by the way. Um, the vaccine that is in use in Canada and the United States um, by Pfizer is uh, approved because of the emergency use authorization. So while a version of the vaccine has been um, approved for regular use, they're actually using the emergency use of authorization version, which would stop if the emergency was lifted. It's very strange. I don't quite understand 
the marketing and the politics behind that. But I agree, we are not in any emergency anymore, despite the hysterics and histrionics from the politicians. Well, that's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. Keep fighting for freedom. And let me leave you with a great video by Lincoln Jay, who was recently in Quebec. Good night. announcing a curfew from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. starting tomorrow night. When I heard that um, curfew is coming back, in, in my mind it was like, okay, there they come again and again and again, and it's deja vu all over. Welcome to Montreal, Quebec, one of the most, if not the most, lockdown place in North America. It's definitely the most lockdown province in Canada. There's no other province that has a curfew in effect. So as many of you probably know, you can't be outside of your house from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. every night across the entire province of Quebec. So right now we're on St. Catherine Street. Typically, you'd see people walking up and down the street. It's a very busy area. There's restaurants, people dining in. There's just none of that happening. It's eerie and it's creepy. So we're gonna walk around, drive around, see what we come across and show you what life is like in one of the only places that has a curfew in effect. Let's check it out. So right behind me, as you see, papers being checked for simply being outside. This is a typical night in Montreal. There's police that just patrol around and they check for people disobeying the curfew. So as you see behind me, this is just one of those instances right now. Libby, you live here in Montreal. Why don't you tell us what it's like, what you're experiencing, what you're seeing past 10 p.m. when the curfew starts? So basically, I'm not out a lot um, after 10 p.m., not because um, of curfew, just because it's not, it doesn't fit my schedule. But what I could tell is that when I heard that um, curfew is coming back, in, in my mind, it was like, okay, there they come again and again and again. And it's deja vu all over. As people like to say, Groundhog Day, Groundhog Day if you watch the movies. So yeah, it's not pleasant and uh, definitely it's not fun. Typically, are you are you seeing your friends, your family, if they are out past curfew, they do run into a cop. Are they usually getting a ticket? Are the police letting them go? Like, how's that looking? 
So for last year, everybody got tickets. I, me myself, I got three tickets, and I'm, it's been taken care of. But um, this year, I didn't hear, I didn't hear much that they they gave tickets. I think that they're they're also already tired of the whole shenanigans, what's going on over here. And yeah, let's pray to God. So I'm here with Ali, a cab driver in Montreal, Quebec. Ali, how has the curfew affected your business? Very bad, very bad. Uh, I told you, this right now we are struggling to make some money for a living. Especially the government doesn't help. And uh, after 10 o'clock is nothing. And uh, we have limited, I don't know. It's just paying from the pocket expenses, you know, with the gas price, you know that. How much is the gas price? And turning around, you know, after 10, it's nothing now. So if you're driving, you're walking, you're out and about past 10 p.m., past curfew, you need to have some sort of paper that permits you to be outside. If you want to avoid getting a ticket of fine, you need that piece of paper. We've been we've been asked for our papers multiple times over the weekend, and I'm gonna show you guys one of those instances right now. We just had our papers checked by uh, a supervisor of the SPVM, the Montreal Police, and as we were approaching our hotel, we got pulled over again. Everything's okay? Yeah, yeah. how are you? Where, where do you go? We're working. We work with uh, Rebel News. We're just reporting on the curfew. Curfew? Yeah, okay. we have one of your supervisors just check our yeah. papers. Okay. You want to see? Yes, I will check your driver license. Yeah. After the police officer verified that we were permitted to be outside for work reasons, we are free to go with no fines issued. Well, there you have it, guys. A little taste of what life is like in a city with a curfew. Now, if you like what you've been seeing, if you like the coverage, the curfew reporting, uh, please go to lockdownreports.com. We had uh, Alexa and Guillaume come in from Quebec City. We had Yankee come in from Florida just to show you guys the other side of the story. So if you want to help with our travel costs, our accommodation, you can visit that website. That's lockdownreports.com. Please, guys, if you can make a donation and we'll continue to bring you guys the other side of the story. Thanks for watching. Thanks for watching guys. I came here from Toronto to show you guys the other side of the story, to show you guys what the mainstream media simply will not show you what life is like in Montreal, Quebec after curfew. Now, if you want to support my journey, if you want to support the coverage, please go to lockdownreports.com. There you can help with my travel costs, accommodation, and I can continue to bring you guys the other side of the story. So please make a donation if you can.